Well, hi to everyone at each of our campuses and joining us online. I'm Brett and I'm the Next Gen Director here at Menlo, which means I have the privilege of working with our incredible kids and student teams across all our campuses. Now I wanna start by sharing with you a little something strange that happened a couple of weeks ago. So my wife and I, we were driving in our neighborhood when we saw this lady walking with her dog and it, it kind of seemed like something was up. So we thought we'd be nice people and we decided to pull over to check it out. But before we even got a word out, she just started talking to us and going on and on as my wife and I sat there not really knowing how to respond. And what was she talking about? She was talking about this restaurant she had just visited, and I think it changed her life. And it turns out it was Cheryl Fletcher and her dog, Queso. Now, if you're confused about what I'm talking about, go back and watch last week's sermon as Cheryl shared with us her new favorite restaurant and kicked off our new series called Unlikely Witness. See, when we saw Cheryl on the street that evening, she was so excited to tell us because she had just experienced something special and she wanted others to have the same opportunity. Throughout this series, we're sitting with Jesus's final words to his followers where he said, you will be my witnesses. And you'll do that in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, when you've seen something special, it's now your turn to share that. Jesus's followers took these words to heart and now 2000 years later, the church, us included, continues to be full of an unlikely group of doubters and scholars, Republicans and Democrats, sinners, the brokenhearted, people who have it somewhat together and those just trying to make it through the day. And to this group of people, Jesus says, go and be my witnesses. You are unlikely witnesses. We are unlikely witnesses right where we are. As I said, when something significant happens in our lives, whether it's good or bad, we wanna share it. I mean, if you get a promotion at work, you tell people because you want people to celebrate with you. If you discover a new great TV show, you tell people because you want people to watch it with you or you want people to talk about it with you. But on the other end of the spectrum, if someone you love gets sick or passes away, you tell people because you want someone to sit with you and pray with you. We share messages or moments with one another in order to invite people to share our experiences with us. And when Jesus told his followers that they were to be his witnesses, what he was saying was, go and share with others what you've experienced with me. Share the message that I've given you. But what is this message? That's what we're gonna talk about today. The message of the unlikely witness is simply this. It's the gospel. Chances are, if you've been around the church for a while or you have familiarity with the church or Christianity, you've heard this term gospel before because we throw it around quite a bit. But at the same time, I imagine that if I were to say right now, everyone pull out a piece of paper and write down what you think the gospel means, we would have a wide range of answers likely shaped by your faith background, what Christian pastors or influencers you follow, or maybe just your own personal study of the Bible. See, gospel 
is one of those words that has become so familiar that it runs the risk of losing its meaning or being diluted, and it may not carry the weight that it once did or the weight that it deserves. It's kind of like the word, wow. When you see something that takes your breath away, like maybe the Grand Canyon or the Great Barrier Reef or the Golden State Warriors when they're just clicking, you can't help but look at it and say, wow. But at the same time, if you've ever zoned out in a conversation while someone is telling a long elaborate story about an event that was clearly important to them, and then you notice their tone shifts, their voice gets a little louder and then they pause waiting for you to respond. What do you say? Oh, wow, nailed it. Same word, different meanings in different situations. One takes your breath away, but one keeps things going as is. The same is true for the gospel. One of the dangers of the word gospel being so familiar is that it, be, it can become a throwaway word that we use to maybe feel better about ourselves or to make what we say sound more Christian. All the while, our lives keep going on as is. But what the early followers of Jesus witnessed in the gospel it was something that had the power to change lives, something that could transform the world as we know it, and that would cause people from all over to stop and say, wow. So what is this gospel? To answer this question, we're gonna look at some of Paul's letters to the Romans. Because if anyone knew the power of the gospel firsthand, it would be Paul. You see, Paul went from being a religious leader who persecuted and killed followers of Jesus to one of the leaders in the early church and actually the author of a majority of the New Testament. And this all happened after he met the resurrected Jesus and experienced the gospel firsthand. Theologian and pastor Tim Keller says, Romans, at its heart, is a letter about the gospel. It's written by a man whose life and work revolved around the gospel, showing the difference brought and worked by the gospel. And in Paul's introduction, he provides this overview of the gospel by saying this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart by the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son. Right there in the very first verse, we get our first sighting of the gospel. The Greek word translated gospel is euangelion. Repeat after me, euangelion. Euangelion literally means good news or good announcement. In our world, news is everywhere. It's in the notifications on your phone, it's trending on Twitter, it's on the ticker at the bottom of your screen. We are saturated with news. News today typically has the purpose of informing you about an event that has occurred. Now in the ancient Roman world, euangelion had a slightly different meaning. Euangelion was often tied to a political or military announcement. 
If a ruler or a king defeated an enemy on a battlefield, they would send messengers throughout the towns declaring the euangelion or the good news that this king's reign would continue or to the defeated party that this king's reign had begun. They would be making the announcement of an event that had happened and wanting to let people know that because of this event, life for the entire world, for everyone, would change. This change may not be immediate, but change was coming. A new reign was here. In Rome, Caesar was king. But Paul opens his letter to the people living in Rome, announcing the euangelion of whom? Of God. Paul is making a declaration at the very beginning that the gospel is about a new kingdom or a new reign that is coming. And this gospel is that God's kingdom is here. This euangelion was destined to ruffle some feathers because a kingdom can't have two rulers. But Paul wasn't only talking about Rome. We all have kingdoms. Dallas Willard says that a kingdom is a realm that is uniquely our own. It's where our choice determines what happens. Our kingdom is simply the range of our effective will. What's your kingdom? If you're the owner of a company, maybe your company is your kingdom. If you're a teenager, maybe your kingdom is your room or your school responsibilities. Maybe for you, your kingdom is your family, your house, your job. We had some birds build a nest on our porch and when we went outside, they start chirping at us to let us know we're encroaching on their kingdom. We better watch out. And in Mark's account of Jesus's life, the very first words Jesus says are these. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe this gospel. Like Paul, Jesus wasn't talking to the rulers of the day. Jesus was talking to us. We all have kingdoms, but a kingdom can't have two rulers. And as God's kingdom comes, we're forced to ask this question, who will we let reign? Throughout history, even from the very first pages of the Bible, we see two kingdoms that have been at war. Who will we let reign? Will it be God or will it be me? And as we look at the story of the Garden of Eden, way in the very beginning of the Bible, that's what we see. We see that God creates the world and he gives Adam and Eve the special charge of taking care of creation as they're walking with God, as they enjoy God's reign and reflect that reign to everybody that they're ruling over. But then we get to this famous story of Adam and Eve and the snake and the tree. And the story is much less about the fruit than it is about kingdoms or reigns as Adam and Eve are faced with the choice. Who will I let reign? Will I continue to trust God's rule and God's reign over my choices and my life? Or will I take dominion? And as the story goes, they chose the latter. And we call this choice sin. Sin is putting my way or my rule over God's way. 
And what follows is generation after generation making the same choice. There's an invitation to trust God, to let God reign. And while some do it better than others, the response time and time again is, this is my kingdom. I think I'm gonna reign. And if you take time to read the stories of the people in the Hebrew scriptures, it becomes easy to look at their lives and to think, man, that was a terrible choice. How could they do such a thing? But if you really pause and look deeper, you'll often see that at their core, even though their situations are different than ours, they're not much different than you and me. They make choices that are fueled by pride, by selfishness, by hatred, by a need for power or recognition, a desire to save face, jealousy, all these things that I see in myself all too often as I fight for the power to sit on my throne. And ultimately, we see in the Hebrew scriptures that the hold that sin grabs over people's lives also gets deeply rooted in the world. And it becomes clear that no leader, political force, president, no focus on themselves, no trying harder to make better choices, nothing can fix the sin problem that is rooted deeply in humanity's hearts. Humanity needs someone or something to save us. And as Paul says in the beginning of Romans, the prophets told of God's promise that someone would come. And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And then Jesus, he goes around, he's teaching people about this kingdom through his words and through his actions. But Jesus didn't just come to teach about God's kingdom. You see, Jesus' teachings, they were good. They're groundbreaking even. But people throughout the Old Testament scriptures had good teachers. We today have great moral teachers, but look at our world. Now, Jesus' gospel wasn't just about living a better life. If it were, it wouldn't be good news. It would simply be good advice. Again, if the gospel was just about living a better life, it wouldn't be good news. It would be good advice telling us how we can achieve that life. Now, Jesus went around and he taught some other things. He would often tell people who came to him looking for help, saying, your sins are forgiven. And people watching, they would be confused, thinking, hey, this person wanted to be healed. Why are you saying your sins are forgiven? Or else other people would say, Jesus, you're a rabbi or a teacher. You don't have authority to do that. That authority belongs to God alone. And I imagine Jesus in his mind saying, yeah, I know. But you see, Jesus wasn't trying to show people uh, that he came to teach something. He was coming to show them something essential about the good news that he was bringing. And that's that he was bringing a solution to the sin problem that is deep within our hearts and to provide a way for us to be part of God's reign, just like we were in the garden. But this time, it's not by our own power, but instead it's by the power of Jesus through his death and resurrection. 
If we look back at Romans, in verse 16, Paul says this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power for salvation for all who have faith in God. He says the gospel is God's own power for salvation. Paul elaborates on this even more later in his letter to the Colossians when he says this. He says, God made it so that you could take part in the inheritance and the light granted to God's holy people. God rescued us from the control of darkness, that is the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that God loves. He set us free through the son and forgave our sins. And then Jesus brought peace through the blood of his cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your mind, which was known by your evil actions. But now, now Jesus has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you before God as people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. Friends, this is the gospel. It's not simply good advice. It is the news that through Jesus's life and death on the cross, that moment when the kingdom of sin and death thought it had won, the reality was that in that moment, all of our sin was actually dying right there with Jesus on the cross. And with Jesus's resurrection, those powers were defeated as new life had begun. A new life where no sin, no addiction, no failure, no amount of brokenness or shame, none of that is too strong to stand in the way of the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. And now we are invited to be part of God's kingdom reign right here, right now. And that is good news. Can I get a wow? You see, Jesus says, that all it takes to be a part of this kingdom is to repent and believe the good news. To say, Jesus, I don't wanna live for my kingdom anymore, but instead I trust you with all that I am. And all that I want to do is to invite your spirit, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to breathe new life into my life as well. See, the message of the unlikely witness is that God's kingdom is here and Jesus has made it possible for us to be a part of it. So why does this message matter? Well, when you turn on the news, what do you see? You see stories of racism, of cultural and political divides, corrupt abuse of power, wars, sexual assault and abuse, infidelity, increased fear, loneliness and depression. The list goes on and on. And this doesn't really look like the kingdom that Jesus said had arrived. Because the truth is, kingdoms are still competing for rule and they're bringing their own gospel with them. They're bringing the gospel of success, which comes along and says, once we reach this level, then we'll be set. Or the gospel of individuality that says, once you realize your full potential and you find your deepest expression of self, then you'll have value. 
or the gospel of morality, which says, if you just make sure you're a good enough person, if you volunteer enough, if you give enough, if you do all the right things, then you'll be good enough. Or the gospel of nationalism, which says your country is seen and respected and feared. And when that happens, you'll receive all those things as well. Of course, there's the gospel of social media, which says, if you can portray yourself in a certain way, then people will like you and you'll be fulfilled. I could go on and on and on, but just like Caesar's kingdom, the kingdom brought by these gospels, they don't last. But that's where the unlikely witnesses come in. Because sometimes, sometimes we think that the gospel message is just about our relationship with Jesus. And once we settle that, we've punched our ticket to heaven and we're good to go. But Jesus doesn't ask us to put our faith in him and then sit and wait. Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To make up there, come down here. Or as theologian Esau Macaulay says it, the Christian story isn't an escape from this world, but it is the radical invasion of it by the Son of God. It's a radical invasion of the world by the Son of God. This is why before going to heaven, Luke tells us that Jesus spent 40 days speaking to his followers about what? About God's kingdom. He didn't take them away with him to heaven. He instead sent them out saying, you will go out, you be my witnesses. He's literally saying, you are to go into these kingdoms with the confidence of Paul and say that Jesus's kingdom is here. And because of Jesus's death and resurrection, this kingdom has power over all other kingdoms to bring Jesus's transformational hope, Jesus's love, Jesus's forgiveness, and Jesus's healing to our broken world. And for 2,000 years, lives have been transformed through the power of this gospel. Today at all of our campuses, we're hosting baptisms. And baptisms are quite literally public proclamations that God's kingdom is here and that Jesus continues to save and transform lives today. And it lets us know that Jesus can do the same for you for our world. Well, as we close today, I wanna share just a couple of final thoughts and to give you some homework. The first is, is, is if as I've been speaking today, you're realizing, man, I'm still living for my own kingdom. I'm still trying to work to find my own way into life with God. If that's you, I want you to know Jesus invites you to come to him right where you are to say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you. Jesus, forgive me for living for myself instead of living for you. Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you and breathe your resurrection life into me. Now, maybe you've already said this to Jesus, but when you look at your life, you see places where the battle for who is king is still being fought when you look at what could be considered your kingdom, your family, your job, your school, maybe your neighborhood, you realize I'm not living as though Jesus is king over my life. If that's you, guess what? You're not alone. 
We don't say nobody's perfect because we want to pretend that we don't have it together. We all actually need Jesus. We need Jesus to work in our lives every single day. And today I wanna invite you to think about that place in your life where you are still struggling and to ask his spirit to continue working in you. And now for your homework. As we prepare to talk about the method of the unlikely witness in the coming weeks, I wanna encourage you to prepare for that by thinking about how you would answer the question, why is the gospel good news to me? Because to share the message, we need to first know the message. Friends, the good news is that the kingdom of God is here. And thanks to Jesus's death and resurrection, Jesus has made it possible for us, a group of unlikely witnesses to be part of making it known right here, right where we are. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for sending your son to this earth to provide a way for us to know you and to have life with you. God, I pray that as we think about your kingdom in our own lives, that you open our eyes to the places where we're still saying, God, I wanna sit here. And that you give us just the courage to give that over to you. And God, that we ask that you fill our hearts and our lives with your resurrection spirit. We love you and we ask these things in your name, amen.